Hello there, Yuri. We hope you're staying cozy today in Menlo Park. With a high of 57 degrees and a low of 51, it sounds like a day with a mix of clouds this morning and some light rain by evening. Perfect for tuning into the latest news. And speaking of news, here's what's on the docket for today. Michigan's upcoming presidential primary is shaping up to be a crucial battleground for both parties. President Joe Biden faces challenges from within the Democratic Party over his handling of the Israel-Hamas conflict, while former President Donald Trump eyes another primary win to cement his position as the Republican frontrunner. I'm Steve Onsker, alongside Jonathan Martin, and this is Yuri's News from Pocket Pod News. Across the Atlantic, North American venture capitalists are finding Europe's startup scene to be both promising and challenging. Despite successes like Klarna and Deliveroo, language barriers, currency differences, and intense competition have made it tough for U.S. investors to establish themselves. And on a global scale, Pope Francis is calling for diplomatic resolutions to ongoing conflicts in Ukraine and the Democratic Republic of Congo. His message emphasizes the need for peace and dialogue amid devastating wars that affect millions worldwide. So whether you're curious about political primaries or international diplomacy, we've got you covered with all the details you need to know. Stick around. We're here to help you navigate through these complex stories with ease. This message is brought to you by PocketPod. Say goodbye to one-size-fits-all podcasts and hello to a fully personalized listening experience with AI-crafted podcast made just for you. Head over to PocketPod.app to join the waitlist. Michigan is shaping up to be a battleground, not just for the general election, but as a critical indicator in the presidential primaries. That's right. With the Michigan primary on the horizon, all eyes are on President Joe Biden and former President Donald Trump. For Biden, it's a chance to measure his grip on Democratic support amid criticisms, especially regarding his stance on the Israel-Hamas conflict. And for Trump, another win here could further cement his frontrunner status among Republicans. But it's not just about these two. Internal GOP struggles and Nikki Haley's strategic moves in Michigan add layers to this political drama. Indeed. And let's not forget, Michigan's swing state status adds even more weight to the outcome of this primary. The dynamics within both parties here could offer us some early clues about what to expect as we head towards Super Tuesday and beyond. To help us unpack all of this, we're joined by PocketPod News political correspondent Jessica Mallory. Jessica, with Biden facing minimal opposition in the Democratic primary and Trump aiming to solidify his lead, how do you see these narratives developing? Well, Jonathan, it's shaping up to be a crucial moment for both Biden and Trump as they look toward the Super Tuesday elections. Starting with President Biden, despite facing minimal opposition in the Democratic primary, his handling of the Israel-Hamas conflict has drawn criticism. This has led to concerns about potential protests from voters through the uncommitted option on ballots. A significant turnout for uncommitted could signal dissent within core Democratic constituencies, which might impact his support in the general election. It's particularly interesting considering his administration's outreach efforts in Michigan, notably in Dearborn, which has a large Muslim and Arab American population. That's fascinating. And how about former President Trump? How does his position look going into this? Trump is aiming for another win to strengthen his standing as the Republican frontrunner. His popularity among GOP base voters is evident, especially with the turnout at recent events in Oakland County. However, internal GOP conflicts and challenges from candidates like Nikki Haley present an interesting dynamic. 
Despite Haley's efforts to broaden her appeal, Trump's influence in Michigan remains significant. Speaking of Nikki Haley, how is her campaign strategy shaping up in Michigan? Nikki Haley has been focusing on South Carolina, but plans to campaign in key areas of Michigan ahead of the primary. Her strategy seems to be about extending her reach beyond conservative core voters by targeting areas with diverse Republican and independent voter bases. This could potentially shake things up a bit if she manages to sway undecided or moderate voters her way. And what about the internal struggles within the Michigan GOP? The Michigan Republican Party is indeed facing turmoil with a power struggle between pro-Trump factions and financial difficulties exacerbating tensions. Trump's endorsement of Pete Huckstra as state GOP chairman appears as an attempt to consolidate support among party loyalists while navigating these organizational challenges. The state party's financial woes are notable, too, with over $600,000 in debt under Ousted Chair Christina Caramo. Finally, how significant is Michigan in all this? Michigan's role cannot be overstated. It's a critical swing state with narrow vote margins in recent presidential elections highlighting its importance. The outcome of this primary may give us valuable clues about voter sentiments and strategic priorities for both parties ahead of Super Tuesday and into November. It certainly sounds like all eyes should be on Michigan as we head into these primaries. Thank you for breaking it all down for us so clearly. You're welcome, Jonathan. It's always important to understand these dynamics as we head closer to election season. That was PocketPod News political correspondent Jessica Mallory. Thanks for joining us today. Venture capital investment is always on the lookout for the next big opportunity. And for a while, Europe seemed to be it. Absolutely. Following Spotify's successful IPO, North American venture capitalists rushed to Europe, hoping to find the continent's next unicorn. But it hasn't been all smooth sailing. Indeed. Despite the initial attraction, North American VCs have faced several challenges, from cultural and operational differences across European countries to increased competition within the European VC ecosystem itself. Yet there's still something alluring about Europe's startup scene. With clearer regulations in some sectors and a continued interest from U.S.-based LPs, there seems to be a path forward for those willing to adapt. To navigate through these complexities and opportunities, we're joined by PocketPod News Business and Finance Correspondent Scott Dwyer. Scott, what can North American VCs do to successfully invest in Europe? Well, Jonathan, the key for North American venture capitalists looking to invest in Europe seems to lie in understanding and adapting to the unique landscape of the European market. The initial attraction, largely spurred by high-profile successes like Spotify's IPO, showcased the potential for outsized exits. But as we've seen, simply pouring money into Europe isn't a guaranteed path to success. One of the primary challenges has been cultural and operational differences across countries. Unlike the relatively homogenized U.S. market, Europe is a mosaic of diverse cultures and business practices which can complicate investment strategies. That diversity sounds like a double-edged sword. On one hand, it offers a wide range of opportunities. On the other, it presents significant challenges. How have these challenges affected North American VCs' presence in Europe? Indeed, Jonathan, the challenges have led some notable firms like KOTU and OMERS to exit the region altogether. Moreover, there's been a significant decline in the overall value of European deals involving at least one U.S. investor, 57% lower in 2023 compared to just a year earlier. This decline underscores not just operational hurdles, but also increased competition within the European VC market itself. 
Speaking of competition, how has the landscape changed within Europe? Are local investors stepping up? Absolutely. The European VC ecosystem has matured remarkably over recent years. Now, 80% of capital deployed in Europe is actually European, which signifies a strong shift towards local funding sources for early-stage startups. This local dominance is reshaping how deals are made and who gets to make them, a trend highlighted by General Catalyst's merger with La Familia based in Berlin. You mentioned strategic missteps by North American VCs focusing too much on London. Could you elaborate on that? Sure thing. Many North American venture capitalists initially concentrated their efforts almost exclusively in London, arguably because it offered familiarity within an otherwise diverse continent. However, this London-centric approach meant missing out on burgeoning startup hubs across mainland Europe where opportunities were equally ripe but less saturated with competition. Regulatory environments also play a crucial role here, right? Precisely. For sectors like AI and crypto where U.S. regulations remain murky at best, Europe's clearer regulatory frameworks offer an attractive proposition for investment. Firms like Andreessen Horowitz seizing this opportunity by opening offices focused on blockchain and crypto in London exemplify this trend. Despite these numerous challenges you've described, there's still significant interest from U.S.-based limited partners, LPs, correct? That's correct, Jonathan. Success stories continue to bolster confidence among U.S.-based LPs about Europe's potential for generating reliable outcomes, Plural raising its first fund in 2022, with substantial investments from U.S. endowments being a prime example here. In conclusion, while initial excitement may have waned due to various hurdles, from cultural differences to strategic misalignments, the underlying opportunities for North American VCs willing to adapt their strategies remain robust within Europe's diverse ecosystem. Fascinating insights as always, Scott. Thanks for breaking down this complex landscape for us today. My pleasure, Jonathan. Always happy to delve into these intricate topics with you. Satsundas. As the world marks the sobering second anniversary of the war in Ukraine, Pope Francis has stepped forward with a poignant message. That's right. In his weekly Angelus message, he called for a diplomatic resolution to not only the conflict in Ukraine, but also addressed rising tensions in other parts of the world, including the Democratic Republic of Congo. And it doesn't stop there. The Pope's plea for peace extends to Israel, Palestine, and beyond, hoping to quell the waves of hate and fear these conflicts have stirred globally. To delve deeper into these calls for peace and their potential impact on global diplomacy, we'll be speaking with Pocket Pod News World Affairs correspondent Rose Fletcher. Rose, can you give us more insight into how these appeals might influence the international response to these crises? Absolutely, Steve. Pope Francis's appeal for a diplomatic resolution in Ukraine comes at a critical time. By marking the second anniversary of the conflict with a call for peace, He's not just highlighting the human toll it has taken, but also urging the international community to refocus on diplomatic efforts for a resolution. His message is particularly poignant because it underscores the extensive suffering, victims, wounded individuals and widespread destruction. That sounds incredibly significant. How do you think this call for peace might influence the international stance towards Ukraine and Russia? Well, Steve, his appeal could serve as a moral compass for the international community. Given Pope Francis's global influence, his call for peace extends beyond spiritual guidance. It acts as a reminder of the urgent need for diplomacy over military escalation. 
Following his message, we saw the group of seven major democracies reaffirming their support for Ukraine. This kind of solidarity, especially when Western leaders make symbolic visits to Kyiv, sends a strong signal of unwavering support against aggression and could potentially sway more neutral parties to take a stand. Interesting points there. Now, shifting focus slightly, Pope Francis also expressed concern over escalating violence in eastern Congo. Can you tell us more about that situation? Certainly. The situation in Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo is deeply troubling. The recent clashes between the DRC's army and M23 Tutsi-led rebels, backed by Rwanda, have escalated significantly. Pope Francis's concern reflects not only on the immediate humanitarian crisis, with numerous deaths and hundreds of thousands displaced, but also on the broader implications such conflicts have on regional stability and peace efforts across Africa. It seems like there's an underlying theme in what Pope Francis is addressing. Exactly, Steve. Beyond specific conflicts like those in Ukraine or eastern Congo, Pope Francis's messages consistently emphasise peacebuilding across all regions experiencing conflict, including Israel and Palestine, among others. His overarching plea is for global leaders to pursue diplomatic solutions that result in just and lasting peace rather than temporary ceasefires or escalations. With all these calls to action from Pope Francis, what do you think are the broader implications for global diplomacy? The broader implication here is a push towards re-evaluating how we address conflicts internationally, moving away from solely military solutions towards comprehensive diplomatic strategies that consider humanitarian impacts first and foremost. By advocating for dialogue and solidarity with nations like Ukraine or communities suffering in Congo, Pope Francis is encouraging a shift towards international relations that prioritise human dignity and peace above geopolitical gains or territorial disputes. Rose Fletcher, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Steve. And that's Yuri's News for Monday, February 26, 2024. I'm Jonathan Martin. And I'm Steve Onsker. Thank you for listening, Yuri. We hope you have a good day, and we will see you tomorrow. This podcast was created by PocketPod entirely with AI. If you'd like to learn more, head over to pocketpod.app.